Hey everyone, today's episode of Product Explained is brought to you by Exponent. Interested in pursuing a career in tech? Exponent can help you with coaching, courses, and community for aspiring young professionals. Check out Exponent today at www.tryexponent.com. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Product Explained, the show where we talk about products and the company's history and strategy behind them. I'm your first host, Jeff Lee. And I'm your co-host, Mike Alcazarin. So hey, Jeff, do you think it's a good or a bad thing to pay half price to jump out of an airplane? (laughs) Some days I think I'd pay double, actually. Well, at least I had a parachute the time I jumped out. (laughs) So today's episode, we're going to talk about Groupon, an e-commerce platform connecting customers with local merchants that offer goods and services. It sounds so friendly when you when you say it like that, <laughs> what Groupon <laughs> is. Yeah. Um, so before Jeff and I did this episode, we were talking about how this dated ourselves. It still feels new to me, but now I realize it's um, over a decade, if not closer to 15, 16 years old. Um, but yeah, Groupon's a website that sells deeply discounted vouchers to customers. And customers can redeem these things at restaurants or for experiences like skydiving and even products. I know that Groupon started to sell physical goods uh, lately as well. Uh, these discounts are, are very deep. They range from 50 to, to 90% off. So you're going to get that crazy sticker shock of that 59.99 MSRP mm-hmm. slash 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 $5. You know, it's like kind of like gives you that reason to buy immediately. You know, so you go to the website and say, I have to buy this because it's such a good deal. Economic psychology for sure. A hundred percent. So how does Groupon make money selling coupons? Um, their business model is pretty straightforward. You know, Groupon takes 50% of the revenue that is posted. So let's give an example to kind of break that down into simple terms. So let's say you're a restaurant and you're selling a um, $100 gift card for 50% off. So ultimately, your customer is only going to spend $50 to get a $100 gift card. So Groupon takes half of that $50. So you as the restaurant only net $25 from that. It's super interesting how it's such a steep cut, especially if you're coming from the restaurant's perspective of giving up $100 of services for essentially $25. So how can that be sustainable? So what Groupon promises is that uh, I think they advertise on their website something like 91% of customers who purchase a deal will come back to that restaurant or business or say that they'll come back to that business. So really what Groupon's offering here is that really nice advertising mechanism is let's get your foot in the door with this really delightful experience. It'll be really cheap. You'll see how awesome this is and you're going to want to do it again. Um, and this time you will, you'll pay full price and not the Groupon price, um, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, it's definitely, I feel like, too good to be true in a lot of cases. For example, I have tried new experiences with Groupon and I personally haven't gone back or like I only go back if there's a Groupon. I remember thinking (laughs) there are places where I tell myself I wouldn't have paid full price for this. So like it sounds really good. Like it sounds like, oh, you know, you'll come back. And it's kind of that razor, razor blade model where you're selling goods and services at a loss in order to recoup some of those revenues later on downstream, people come back. But in this case, anecdotally, I I very rarely went back to the places that I use Groupon. Was that the case for you, Mike? 
Yeah, definitely. I was actually looking through my inbox to look at some of the Groupons that I... <laughs> I That's you know, a time machine for sure. Exactly. That's why I felt super old. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, that was like two years ago. And it was 2012. I'm like, oh, this is crazy. <laughs> but yeah, like I would love to see some of the numbers of repeat business and if customers are actually coming back after using Groupons. Because yeah, same as your anecdotal experiences. I really never went back to these places. I've lived in multiple cities and I would use Groupon as a nice way to find restaurants. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is before like, you know, I was super into like Google Maps reviews or even something like Foursquare. Groupon was a really nice way for me to lower the barrier for me to actually try something and try something new. So yeah, I haven't gone back. And then like to, and our story in the beginning is I actually did buy a Groupon to go skydiving. And it was half price off. And it was awesome when I saw the deal, but I didn't even think about I'm paying someone 50% less to jump out of a, a plane <laughs> with a parachute. It was just kind of after, after we got to the ground and we, I remember we went to get food afterwards because you have such an adrenaline rush after mm-hmm. skydiving. Yeah. A milkshake, I guess, was the only way for me to calm that. A milkshake and a burger. And we were just talking like, yeah, we paid half for this. Like, why, why did we do that? <laughs> for me, the thing that I use Groupon the most for is I'm like really interested in room escapes. And Groupon, for some reason, Room Escapes have like their own community on Groupon or something. They're always, <laughs> there's always a Groupon deal for a local Room Escape. And I will say that you do get some bad eggs in there. I mean, you're not always sure about the quality of the place you're going to with a Groupon. You know, you're paying a discounted rate. Some of these places, you know, perceive themselves as if we're good enough, we don't need to put out a Groupon. Our quality and value will speak for itself. And sometimes that reflects itself in in Room Escapes. So, I have gone to a couple duds, uh, a couple lemons, if you will, of, of room escapes that were pretty bad. But for the most part, I did go to some really good room escapes that I got good deals using Groupon. And I weirdly just don't go back <laughs> like I, unless they have another Groupon. So it, exactly. it kind of spoils me to that particular price point. And when I tell other people to go visit that place, I also tell them to use a Groupon. So it's like, oh, wait, get a Groupon for this. Don't yeah, pay full price. <laughs> don't pay full price. So like... I, you know, it's weird that they promise people are coming back. I think people do come back, but with a caveat that their mental model of what this place costs now is slashed in half and um, they don't get the benefit of making any revenue off of these places. So I wonder if that's part of why people started to leave uh, Groupon for other means of advertising. A quick point on that, like I know like in our last episode or one of our last episodes, Quibi, we talked about customers expecting to get something for free mm-hmm. or yeah. discounted. And they, that's just the psychology that's baked in. Yeah. After you've been giving such a good deal, they don't want to pay full price. Something else that I think about is, you know, when I did look at Groupon, I would always cross-reference it with another like review site like Yelp uh, or maybe Google Reviews or whatever you like to use. But I always wanted to know if I'm buying a Groupon at this place and I'm buying this product, is it good um, before I spend the money? And Groupon didn't have, maybe they do now, but I don't remember them having a built-in review system, or at least one that I really trusted. So I ended up going to a third party. (laughs) So I think that was part of why Groupon isn't as successful today as it was 10, 12 years ago. Yeah, I would echo that 100%. Yeah. And so let's talk about how Groupon came to be. So it's funny, in 2006, Andrew Mason, who's one of the founders, I think probably the founder that most people know when it comes to Groupon, was frustrated in uh, canceling a cell phone contract. I think all of us have probably been... (laughs) In that same boat. And he kind of thought about the idea of, well, if I got a lot of people to voice their frustration, maybe we can force the cell phone companies to help cancel a bunch of contracts. So the idea of collective bargaining 
And he actually launched a product called The Point. Uh, and The Point was named after the book The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell, which the basic principle is that, you know, you can use a bunch of people or social media to get a lot of people to accomplish some greater goal. So again, the idea of collective bargaining. The Point was pretty successful in Chicago. Um, and they had, you know, again, the goals that people were accomplishing were varied, but one specific group had the goal of saving money as their main goal. And that group was actually one of the most successful groups. So co-founder of The Point, Eric Lefkowski, which was also a former employer of Andrew's who helped provide, I think, a million dollars in initial seed funding for the concept, persuaded Andrew to pivot from The Point to this group buying idea called Groupon. And Groupon was officially born in November of 2008. That's crazy. Just a quick pause there. Like your former boss giving you like whatever, like roughly a million dollars in yeah, seed funding yeah. is, is crazy amount of trust. I'm not sure. I didn't, I need to do more digging into their relationship prior to maybe, you know, Eric Lifkowski was in another startup that Andrew was a part of. I don't really remember, but I know that they had worked together previously and he provided, you know, a large chunk of the seed funding to this idea. So yeah, I mean, either really good persuasion skills by Andrew, or maybe there was something there. I mean, clearly there was some success with Groupon, so there was totally. so, certainly something there. Groupon's first deal, first Groupon ever, was two pizzas for the price of one at a place called Motel Bar, uh, which was a restaurant on the first floor of Groupon's building. So I love that that's like, <laughs> you know, hey, we know Joe Smith who owns a Motel Bar downstairs. Um, can we get him to do a two for one deal? That'll be our first Groupon. And Groupon in the early days was actually a deal of the day website. So now if you go on Groupon, you can find a ton of different deals for different things. Uh, but at the time, there was some exclusivity around Groupon. It was only one deal per day. So yeah, that was their first, very first deal was two pizzas for one at the motel bar. In just over a year and a half, Groupon was valued over $1 billion. And it was the fastest company at the time to reach this milestone. They IPO'd in 2011. So again, Andrew came up with this idea in 2006. Groupon launches in 2008. Three years later, they IPO. And it was the biggest IPO of any internet company since Google in 2004. So it goes to show how kind of crazy and how much force was behind this idea of group buying. And remember, 2008 was generally our last stock market crash or recession. And a lot of companies were born out of that 2008 time span. I think maybe Groupon was one of the earlier ones. I think of Uber and Lyft coming out of that same era as well, maybe a little bit later. But you know, this is one of the first ones to, to spawn out of, I guess, unicorns, if you will, to spawn out of that era. And um, but unfortunately, Groupon's success was pretty short-lived. <laughs> the unicorn of unicorns and the fast fall of unicorns as exactly. well. Yeah, I, I think that's the case with a lot of tech companies. It's, it's hard to evaluate what they are. And when you evaluate them and then they IPO, it's never exactly the same thing. Um, I think too, like the uh, things are so dynamic with technology is there's all these forces that are at play. Mm -hmm. I know like yeah. traditional like B-school type frameworks where one of the frameworks that you might use is like porter's five forces right, right and it's just five simple forces and i feel like with technology like there's got to be a framework there somewhere but there's just always seems to be a lot more forces at play or maybe it's the same forces but just faster yeah because groupon was essentially an advertising platform for these restaurants you know it's you wouldn't expect to make money off these groupons necessarily but it's going to be a great marketing play to say hey like learn about this product. I believe in it so much that I'm willing to give it at a discount and you're going to come back and tell your friends. 
And now I think the dynamics have just shifted where it's like you might post something on Instagram to an influencer to mm-hmm. say, hey, check out this pizza. Um, yeah, that's you true. Know, rather than dumping that money into Groupon and saying, hey, buy this discounted pizza. So it's interesting. Yeah, I think about the the competitors in this space, right? And we're going to talk about that in a bit. But um, I think the competitors driving people away from Groupon is probably what led to most of Groupon's downfall on top of the fact that there was, in my opinion, like very little quality control of who ended up advertising on Groupon. And that's unfortunate because Groupon was positioning themselves around local businesses. And, you know, local businesses typically as an archetype don't have the marketing budgets or the marketing expertise to like put out these really nice ads or to know exactly how to price their their coupons so that they are still recouping some value um, to understand if they are getting the ROI that they need from advertising on Groupon. So Groupon was good to get a good deal, but it was mostly good for like these small mom and pop shops around town. And now I think there's other ways that you can do that as well. Yeah. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, like I mentioned earlier, Groupon's value tanked. Uh, It lost 80% of its value a year later in 2012, and it had plunged as low as $2.15 per share in early 2016. I don't remember what they're trading at today, but I think it's still in the low, you know, single digit dollars. If I remember correctly, it's not that much. Andrew Mason, the original founder of Groupon, has actually moved on to another project called Descript. Uh, Descript is essentially a uh, voice transcription product that helps podcast creators edit their podcast via text. And we actually use it here on Product Explained. So I'm interested in jumping into that episode sometime down the road. But yeah, Andrew Mason is no longer the CEO of, of Groupon and has moved on to to greener pastures. There's a really good book called The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben mm-hmm. Horowitz, where he talks about um, like a wartime CEO versus a peacetime CEO. And uh, I, I wonder if that, that was one of the dynamics at play here where, you know, Andrew's one of the guys that founded the company. So he was that quote unquote wartime CEO where yeah. fighting fires, you know, growing the business. And it's a little bit different once things start to stabilize and you're such a big player that you need to be a peacetime CEO and figure out how to manage the ship and keep things running smoothly. In general, we like to position product explained as uh, a show for people that are very into tech and people that are just interested and may not have specific tech expertise. But take a look at the companies that are growing and look at what happens when they scale. That's usually the break point for a lot of them. So companies are doing really well early when they're small. Um, they kind of have this laid back startup culture. And then when it starts to bring in real C-suite, <laughs> bring in, <laughs> you know, real policies, um, start IBM CEO, yeah, you know. <laughs> start bringing in some red tape to scale. Then you start to see the aerodynamics of the company start to break down a bit. Uh, and that's where you typically are really interested. So look at companies that are in, you know, pre-IPO stage or late stage startups. Those are the companies that you want to keep an eye on when it comes to scaling and see what their strategy is and how that's helped or hurt them over time totally and if you can sustain it i think exactly. that's a huge yeah. tricky part it's like you, you were great when we started but um, let's keep this thing going for the long run mm-hmm. yeah so um let's talk a bit about who groupon is for i know we've kind of mentioned local business owners and obviously the users yeah i, th- I think it's super important to you know frame what groupon was and I mentioned this earlier, how it's essentially an advertising service for local businesses and companies, anyone that wants to sell a deeply discounted product to get people's foot in the door. But if you uh, you know break Groupon down, is they're really a marketplace. There's two different customers at play. You need to attract buyers. So in this case, the customers that are the buyers are you know people like Jeff and I ten, 10 years ago, <laughs> broke college kids trying to impress 
like dates or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Like half of my Groupons were like, hey, like Adrian, do you want to go on this date? I got a good Groupon. <laughs> um, so yeah, the buyers like were the customers and were price sensitive customers. You know, people really looking for, um, you know, they want to try new things and maybe a new city or new place, or they just um, might not have the budget to go to restaurant X and the Groupon makes it attainable by giving it a little bit of a discount. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other side of the coin, Groupon also needs to attract sellers. And these are the folks that are actually offering the discounts. So these are the purveyors of skydiving that that I, I went on um, all the way to restaurants, to travel, to um, anything like that. Groupon needed to make sure that they were you know, bringing in the, the right sellers. And Jeff mentioned it earlier that uh, it was initially meant for local businesses, you know, helping mom and pop shops in your local area mm-hmm. to help sell their, their services and give them some of those marketing tools that bigger companies have access to. So... In terms of the quantity of users they had, so uh, it seems to be that they peaked in the last quarter of 2014. Uh, they had f- roughly 54 million total active customers. Um, I don't know exactly how they defined an active customer, but it's still a significant amount of customers. Yeah. But unfortunately, like the stock price and the valuation of the company, it's been trending downwards pretty significantly. So the latest, most recent data that we have from the second quarter of 2019 they only had uh, 24.1 million active customers in North America. So you know, just about actually more than 50% loss of their customer base, which is pretty dramatic. And something that got me thinking of who your customer was and maybe why this happened is maybe Groupon could have found more success if they focused more on the seller side of the marketplace. And granted, I don't have a ton of visibility into mm-hmm. that yeah. because I just saw the consumer side, but... Just even me trying to do the math of like, hey, is this profitable or not? I'm sure Groupon could have built some little like tools or widgets that were just super simple calculators for these businesses, you know, to say, hey, if you run this Groupon, you can make X amount of dollars and maybe being laser focused on those customers. Because I think at the end of the day, those are the people that are giving you money and therefore I would want to focus on that experience the most. I, I feel like I always had a good experience as a Groupon customer and sometimes I felt like I would go to a restaurant with a Groupon and they were like frustrated, almost like they knew they were going to take a loss uh, on yeah, that. I, I just yeah. remember like being seated at a restaurant and just feeling guilty for like busting out the Groupon at the end of the meal. <laughs> um, and so I, I wonder if they could have made their seller customer experience better. They would have, yeah, had more success. But I, I'm not sure what tools they had. I, I don't know how you feel about that, Jeff. No, yeah, I think that's very interesting because something that came to mind was the dynamics of coupons is that you usually go and they might take a loss on that thing or they might sell it at value of whatever coupon you're buying the item for, but you usually end up spending money elsewhere. So it's more of a mechanism to get you in the door to spend money on other items. Let's use a restaurant, for example. To my knowledge, one of the best items on the menu for them to make money off of is alcohol. Mm -hmm. So you probably won't get a Groupon for alcohol, but you'll get a Groupon for an appetizer, which is already really cheap for them to produce. They'll lose, take a little loss there, and then you will end up making that money back up through alcohol sales or whatever. But then there are the people that come into the store that literally just come for the appetizer <laughs> and then yeah, leave. I'll take 24 orders of mozzarella sticks. Yeah, and <laughs> like... then they'll leave. And so you're just eating the cost there. And you're hoping as... A small business owner that most of the people that come through the door that uses a Groupon don't do that, but you're never sure. I I think the issue here is that because there is a middleman that takes a cut, that makes it a lot more difficult for 
these small uh, and medium businesses to recoup some of their losses. You know, if you think about Burger King, for example, they have a coupon. You come to the store, you get two for one Whoppers or something. They probably sell at cost, but maybe they know that two Whoppers isn't enough to feed their average transaction. Maybe they expect- What are you saying here, Jeff, is that I need more than two Whoppers? I I need more than two Whoppers. I need to buy fries and shakes. And I think usually, you know, they probably expect to feed maybe a family of three on average. And so you're going to come in for the two Whoppers, but you're going to end up spending money elsewhere to feed the rest of your family. I I think that's, that's generally what happens with most coupons. But in this case, with- Groupon specifically, they're also taking a cut and it's a steep one at that. Yeah. And I mean, even just that example that you said with Burger King, I mean, Burger King is this, you know, massive corporation with, I'm assuming like a whole department of sales and marketing that can calculate exactly the coupon ratio that they need to hit. And they have all the data to build a business case for it. And I wonder if Groupon has, because I I don't know, (laughs) because I've never been on the seller side of the tool, but I would love to see what tools Groupon has for the sellers if they're able to offer those kind of like mechanics of like, hey, like, is this campaign working or make these small adjustments on this campaign mm-hmm. to see how it works. It, it just seems like a lot of the decision making was left up to the business owner and they obviously didn't have the experience to like make a call on what Groupon they should set up. Like they just see other people doing two for one deals and they think I'll do a two for one deal on my wine glasses and then they lose a lot of money on what could have been their biggest, you know, moneymaker in the store. Similarly, let's talk about some of the competitors. I think some of the competitors started to offer some of these features that we're talking about here that started to draw users away from Groupon towards some of the other companies that were offering similar things. Living Social was the main competitor that I could remember compared to Groupon. It seemed like Groupon light, if you will. There was a lot more companies, small businesses on Groupon, but sometimes you can find something on Living Social that was worth looking at. But I think similarly, Living Social isn't doing that well, especially during COVID. You mentioned earlier, the total monthly active users dropped to 24 million in 2019. I'm assuming that's way worse now during COVID, especially because most of the Groupons were centered around in-person activities. So I'm assuming it's not doing well. Local coupon books is obviously another competitor as well. Again, I mentioned direct consumer to seller relationships with local coupons where you can set your price and you know exactly what your losses are and nobody's coming in to take a cut of the value that you're giving away. Another one that's interesting is Yelp. Yelp obviously is mostly around the small and medium business review industry, but they're also now providing coupons and they're offering other services around. They're building a full end-to-end experience for going to your small and medium businesses. So if you go to a restaurant, you can check in. They might have a coupon there that you'll show via Yelp. I don't think Yelp takes anything. I, don't, I think their business model isn't that they'll take anything from the sales because there's no way for them to know. But I think where they get their value is they sell those premium services to, to businesses that want to advertise their coupons on Yelp. I believe that's how they make their money. Because I know that you know Yelp has been notorious in the past for kind of <laughs> bullying people into using their services or premium services for businesses. But I mean, in the end... I, I want to say that the coupon feature is something that they offer. It might be a free offering, but I think they offer it specifically for paid users as well. And then another company like TravelZoo, which focuses more on local activities to particular areas and countries. I think Groupon was mostly US-based. I don't think they had a large presence outside of the US. Maybe they did. Actually, I know they acquired some other companies um, that were doing similar things in other countries, but Travel Zoo, I've seen before, they have like similar travel packages, but they're obviously more geared towards 
travel and Groupon was kind of everything. They were more ubiquitous with the with the coupon community. I, and I remember seeing the Groupons for like travel. It must have been like a like a five day, six day cruise. I'm like, oh, we have to do this. It's like too good to be true. That scares me. And then me. I'm like, exactly. Yeah. And then I'm like, wait, this is my vacation. Yeah. And if things go sideways, uh, I don't like. I don't know what happens. Right. You know, it's like I I can literally eat the pizza if I'm unhappy with it. I'll I'll suck it up and mm-hmm. eat it if it's a discounted pizza. But the the vacation is definitely a lot more yeah a lot more risk involved there. Exactly. There's a lot of risk tolerance when it comes to using Groupon. Like, are you willing to save all this money for something that might be a poor experience? Um, if it's just pizza, no big deal. If it's like a thousand dollars. That you could have spent on something else. You're making me feel worse about the skydiving. <laughs> skydiving is not that bad. I mean, like at the end of the day, the idea is that Groupon didn't have really great review mechanisms. And it was really hard to know if that particular product you were getting was inferior to a competitor or are you getting something less because it's 50% off. Like that's hard to know, especially because there's very little traffic with small and medium businesses like there's just not enough data to make a good decision. So a lot of times you might be the first, I don't know, 10, 20, 100 people to try out a new product at that particular price point. So you are taking a plunge. Another thing that frustrated me with Groupon was the terms and conditions. Like sometimes I would buy these Groupons and I just saw it at face value, like the big bold text where it's like, hey, buy a $40 gift card for 20 bucks. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, like that's a no brainer. I have to do that. And yeah. then I'm, then it's like, first time customers only in New Mexico. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, this yeah. is like, this is crazy. And I remember like the last time that happened to me was actually um in Seattle in April of 2020. And we bought a Groupon and the, the restaurant wouldn't accept it because of like some weird, obscure terms and conditions. And it was just super frustrating that I had to eat that money. And I think I still have like that, like $20 Groupon credit that mm-hmm. who knows if and when I'll use that. And there's like this bad taste in your mouth about going back to that place after that. Let's talk about our reviews. I'm happy to start. I think overall, the idea of Groupon is really interesting, right? How do we bolster the advertising of local small and medium businesses? There was obviously a need for it and a marketplace for it. However, I think other people are doing it better. So I look at Yelp, for example, and maybe it's a West Coast thing. I know that you know people that live in larger metropolitan areas use Yelp a bit more, but I trust Yelp a lot more than I trust Groupon. Um, (laughs) I won't say it's completely independently reviewed because some people say that you'll buy reviews or remove reviews via Yelp. But in general, I feel pretty good if I see a Yelp rating and it's got a ton of reviews on it. I generally trust that. Whereas in Groupon, I, I again, I'm taking that plunge. I'm not quite sure. And the biggest value for me is saving money. So I think in terms of product market fit, I think it did fit that niche very well. Like there were clearly people that wanted to try new things at some reduced cost and that there were companies willing to offer that reduced cost to get more customers in the door. The problem I, th- I see with it is that they didn't build upon the pain points of both the sellers and the buyers. One being that they basically price gouged their sellers on the platform um, by taking such a large cut away from them. And it made these small businesses go somewhere else and advertise elsewhere. And I think that's a big issue. I don't think that people are necessarily going out less and trying activities less, you know, and obviously during COVID, yes, but, you know, up to 2019, (laughs) I don't think that for whatever reason, people were starting to stay at home more. I do think that a lot more people 
were going out. The economy was doing pretty well. People were spending disposable income and cash. People were trying new things, but I don't think that they were doing it through Groupon anymore. So it seems like Groupon was losing more and more of their market share. And that's where there's some red flags for me. In terms of customer experience, in general, I got to save some money. But the problem is I never knew what the quality was until afterwards. And that's why I, I generally stuck to room escapes because I knew like I would rarely get a lemon with room escapes. <laughs> uh, but you could have done something else like paid for a week long vacation and been really bummed out if it sucked. So I can see where that was some issues. I think overall, I'm going to give Groupon like a three out of five. In, in general, I think it was a good idea. I think execution wise is where it kind of fell short. I agree with you. I think they should have provided more tools uh, for small and medium businesses to optimize their use of Groupon. Uh, to make it um, more profitable for them. They probably could have laid off a bit on what they took out of the profits or maybe thought of a different profit structure uh, or business model to get more people onto the platform and make it seem more uh, friendly for you know small and medium businesses to advertise. On the customer side, I think it was pretty good for them. I think it was a pretty good deal for most of us. You know, We got a lot of money off and it was kind of at your own risk. But I'd only say if I could add a review system there so that I knew what I was getting myself into, then I would be more likely to buy more Groupons. But you know, other than that, I think I'd give it a three. I'm right there with you. I would rate Groupon a 3.25 out of five. I, I, I know I've had a, a ton of delightful experiences going out to new restaurants and trying new things, like new experiences as well, from skydiving to rock climbing and everything in between. But I, I think there's a little bit of the trust factor that's that's missing there for me is I, I don't know if I can 100% trust that I'm going to have a great time at these restaurants. And now that maybe maybe that I'm older, like I, I value those like experiences a little bit more. I want to make sure that what I'm doing and I'm investing my time into is worthwhile. So yeah, I, I definitely agree that having that review system that felt trusted would help me like revisit Groupon as well. And I also like almost like love to have their platform simplified <laughs> on all yeah. on all sides. Yeah. You know, it's like from the customer buyer side, like me, there's so many terms and conditions, like let's just make it simple. Like it's a gift card you can use for anything. And then mm-hmm. on the other side of things, like same deals, like give the sellers like a basic set of tools that they can learn to optimize their cash flow and and make those deals and maybe even offer like specific sets of deals. Like if sellers want to get different types of experiences, like, hey, it's not going to be a gift card. It's just going to be a buy one, get one free and like an actual coupon like that. I think they could use some simplification in the business model. So those are our thoughts on Groupon and we'd love to hear from you, our listeners. So tell us more about what you think about Groupon on our social media. On Instagram, that's Podcast, And on Twitter, it's at Podcast. P-R-O-D-E-X podcast. Yeah, and if you like the show, be sure to like us and subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, etc. And let us know if there's any other products you want us to review. See you next episode.